listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. But this summer, we are going to be taking these snapshots of God's amazing grace. And, and we're going to look at various characters in the Bible like we are today and then other passages of scriptures where we are seeing God's hand at work in some amazing ways. And today, we're going to take just a snapshot of the life of Jacob. And, and you see his story in, in your Bible. We're going to look today at Genesis 32, but his story actually begins in Genesis 25 is when we start to see about Jacob. And, and, um, and his story continues on until chapter 37. And so I'm, I'm hoping even today, after this message, that you're going to want to go home. And this week you're going to read, starting at, at chapter 25, and, and read the story of Jacob. And we're taking a snapshot today from Genesis 32. And one of the great things I love about the Bible is that it does not cover things up. I mean, it does not hide the imperfections of people. And, and it does not hide the fact that people that God uses are messed up, ordinary people who oftentimes come from dysfunctional families. And, and so, I mean, that gives us great hope today. That gives um, you folks good news that God uses ordinary messed up people because that's what you are. And so am I. We're all in that. And, and so there's good news in this. And, and as we look at this chapter, we are going to see that God used a very messed up person. And God got hold of a man. And when that happened, a nation was formed. A nation, the hope, the promise that God made continued on. And so we're going to look at, at chapter 32 and we're going to call it today Press Through Prayer. And uh, prayer that presses through. Not just kind of praying just a nice little prayer, but, but press through prayer. And, um, and so just to put things in, in context a little bit. And guys, if you could go to that next screen there with the title in there of Press Through Prayer. And um, talking about a prayer that, that doesn't give up. Prayer that gets results. And so just to give you sort of the, 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 the quick view of the story here. Jacob, who we're going to be talking about today, was a twin. And now he did not look anything like his brother. And so how many of you kids know of somebody who's a twin? Yeah? Okay, you know of someone. Martha, you're not a kid. But that's okay, you put your hand up. I, you're a kid at heart and you love children. So that's awesome that you did that. I love seeing that kind of response. So um, how many of you have known a twin in your life? Anyone? Yeah, okay, yeah, I'm sure you have. Does any, is anyone in here a twin? We have a twin here, right on. Okay, so um, Jackson, you only wish you had a twin probably. Uh, we don't need two of you though around. So, um, but Jacob was a twin. And who remembers what Jacob's brother's name was? What was his, his name? Esau, right. And so Esau was the oldest because he was born first. And, and his name literally means hairy one. He was born with a lot of hair. And sometimes you see that in kids. They're just born with a lot of hair. And then you see throughout their lives, they continue with a lot of hair. Sometimes if you go swimming or uh, whatever, you might think there is a, a, a brown or a black bear in, in the water. And then you realize, oh, that's just a guy that's really hairy. And, and some people are like that. And Esau was a very hairy guy from birth and right on, it would seem. He, and, and he was a very macho guy. He was, you know, one of these outdoors rugged kind of guy, probably smelt of the earth, didn't use any sort of, you know, deodorants or anything like that. He was just about, you know, just getting out there and getting some animals. And, and uh, if he was alive today, he probably would drive a 4x4 Jeep, you know, not with a cover on it, none of these roll bar kind of stuff, just he'd drive this 4x4 this Jeep, had to have a great big gun, a, a big huge beard, and would love watching Duck Dynasty and UFC. I mean, those would probably be things that he would really enjoy. Jacob, the one born second, was born clutching the heel of his brother. It was almost like, you know, hey, I'm trying to, trying to get ahead of you here. But Jacob, his name literally means grasper. That he was grasping. He was wanting to try to grab his, his, his brother's ankle on the way out when he was born. And so, a very suitable name to call him Jacob, which literally means to grasp. And... Uh, and, and Jacob was more of a mama's boy. He enjoyed just staying around the tent. He enjoyed cooking. 
he probably, you know, if he was around today, he would probably be very clean and, and clean shaven, use some hair product in his hair so it would just be right, and he enjoyed the cooking aspect, so he probably, you know, he probably drove a smart car, had a Pinterest account, and probably enjoyed watching all the cooking shows on TLC. You know, and so, so you have these two opposites for brothers. I mean, these guys were completely different. His name Jacob meant grasper, but it also meant deceiver, cheater, deal maker. And those words pretty much described his life and who he was and what he did. Yet Jacob was a man that God used. And for much of his life, he was a liar, a deceiver, a grabber, a deal maker. He was always either running from trouble or he was running into trouble. It just kind of seemed that was what was going on in his, his entire life. And in Genesis 25, familiar story, kind of, I mean, he, he cheated his brother over, or cheated his brother out of his birthright over a pot of stew. And, um, and, and his brother came in, he was so hungry, and he's like, feed me, feed me, feed me now, I'm so hungry, and that stew you just made, that new recipe you found, just, just smells so good, give me some stew. And he's like, sure, you can have some stew if you give me your birthright. And in a moment of weakness, and, and you know how sometimes you go, oh, I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. What good is having this birthright anyways? If I'm going to die, you'll get it anyways, and so feed me. Here, you can have my birthright. And so he took his birthright from him. And then in, in chapter 27, Jacob and his mother tricked the dying father, who is now blind and quite old, into receiving the blessing of the firstborn. And, and, and this was a big deal in those days. Being the firstborn meant something. It meant that you were kind of the one to carry on the family name. It also meant that you were privileged in receiving two-thirds of the inheritance from your father. The rest of the family, no matter how many other kids there were, would get the other one-third, and the firstborn would get the two-thirds. And so this was a huge deal, and they tricked the dying father, into giving this blessing to Jacob. This, do you think Esau was okay with this? Are you kidding? He's mad. He's ticked. But he knows he can't kill his, kill his brother while his dad is still alive. And so it says in Exodus 27 that the only thing that gave Esau some comfort was plotting the death of his brother. And so, have you ever been so filled with kind of revengeful thoughts when someone has done something to you, it actually made you feel good as you're plotting out what you could do to get even with them? Have you ever done that? Yes, thank you. Yes, at least one of you have. I've done it many times. I've done it, I mean, just even at times in traffic when somebody does something that kind of infuriates me. I mean, I have a whole list of, of possible things that I could do just to kind of get back to them and... Sometimes I've followed through with some of those things regrettably, you know, and they probably didn't even notice, but at least, you know, I mean, but sometimes we, you know, and so for, for Esau, at least planning out the revenge, I can't wait for my father to die because once he dies, I'm going to kill him and it will all come back to me and it will be mine and rightfully so. Jacob found out that his brother was going to kill him, so he took off to his uncle's place. He went off to Uncle Laban's far, far away. And this is kind of funny because in, in the end you see, and the Bible is very clear, that you reap what you sow. And, and it, the cheater, the guy who was cheating everyone, he ended up getting cheated. His, again, just familiarize yourself with the story, and in case you don't know it, Uncle Laban had two daughters. There was one by the name of Leah, and one was Rachel. Rachel was the younger one, and she was gorgeous. She was like drop-dead, <gasps> gorgeous kind of thing. Um, Leah, the older sister, the Bible says her eyes were dull. And uh, her eyes were soft, and, and, and that probably could mean that she just had poor eyesight, but it's also, some believe, that was kind of a nice way to say she was ugly. Like she just, I mean, you have one sister who's hot and one who is not. And, and of course, I mean, Jacob is thinking, I'm, 
Rachel, I mean, she's a hot one. I'm going to go for her. And so he comes to his uncle and says, I'd love to marry your daughter. And, and Laban says, you can marry her daughter after seven years. You need to work for me for seven years. And it even says that, that for, for, for Jacob, it was like, okay. I mean, she is so hot and I so want to be with her that huh, seven years, that's going to be like nothing. And, and it says the years just went by so quickly and so, so fast for for him because he knew that at the end he was going to have Rachel as his wife. But as you know, the story that he ended up getting tricked by his now father-in-law, the wedding ceremony happens. I don't know how he missed it. I don't know what happened. Maybe it was a really thick veil or something. And, and, uh, and, and somehow wedding ceremony goes on. They spend their first night together and he wakes up and he realizes that it was the wrong sister that he married and it was like oh no what have I done you know and so he goes to his his, his uncle and he says well didn't you know about the the tradition the older one has to be married first and and he's like but I still want to marry I, I still want to marry Leah and he says well you can but you need to work for me for another seven years and it's just like, oh, are you kidding me? But he did that. He worked that. He ended up with two wives, which um, was not permitted in, 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 in God's eyes. He went out and he sinned in this way. And I mean, again, here's a reminder that God uses us even in spite or despite our sins. And this caused nothing but trouble. All throughout Scripture, whenever you see this, you see that it caused um, disunity, it caused rifts, it was always a problem. That's why God's word said to be um, the husband of one wife, that, that it's not multiple wives. And, and, um, and so anyways, we see this going on and, um, and, and Jacob ends up now with two wives and, and again, he's smart, he's crafty, he's a good business guy and over the next number of years, he, after he's done working for his uncle, he learned, learned a lot and so he, he built up for himself a lot of money. He was a very successful businessman and, and so he had a lot of, of, of stuff. He had a lot of animals. They, they didn't have bank accounts in the same way that we we have banks and, and finances today, but he had it in all kinds of animals, and, and, and we even see some of that here in this story. And so in Genesis chapter 31, God tells Jacob to head back home, that he needs to go and see his brother. And he even promises, he says, and I'll be with you, but you are to head back and you're to go see your brother. I will be with you. And so now we're in chapter 32, and we're going to start in verse 1. And it says here, as Jacob started on his way again, angels of God came to meet him. When God, or when Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanam. Now, how cool is that? How comforting is that? Is, is God tells him, you are to go, I will be with you. And then he even gives him some angels to, to kind of just confirm it. And I mean, pretty cool kind of thing for him to have and to know that, that God is going to make a way. And he even provided some angels for him. And so, as Jacob sends some messengers ahead and, and, and he takes some of his servants and he turns them into messengers and he says, go tell my brothers, go and tell them that I am coming and that I am bringing some gifts. I'm bringing the farm. You go tell and I'm, I'm on my way. So in verse 4, it says, he told them, give them this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now I've been living with Uncle Laban, and now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks, and sheep, and goats, and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. And so they go and they give him this message, and they come back to Jacob and report, Hey, Esau's already coming. He's already on his way. He's coming to meet you with 400 soldiers. 400 soldiers was a big deal. 400 soldiers in this day meant this was a declaration of war. He was not coming in peace. He was coming to bring it to him. I mean, think of the years of revenge that he no doubt was planning. And he's just like, the time has come. He is coming into my hands. I'm bringing my 400 soldiers. We're going to take care of him. So what does Jacob do? He's a little freaked out. 
He's a little fearful, wouldn't you? I mean, could you imagine you're heading home to a family reunion this summer <laughs> and, and to find out that um, the army's been called in for your arrival and it's not necessarily going to be very pleasant. It's not going to be a welcoming committee, but that you are walking into hostile territory. And so Jacob is full of fear. He is freaked out about this. So what does he do? He takes his family. He takes his possessions. He divides them up in half. And he sends one over. They cross a river, a raging river. And he crosses one or sends one one way and one the other way. Because he figured if one gets attacked, at least the others can escape and they'll live. Not my whole family will be wiped out by his army. And so he's confused. And he's wondering what's going on. And so here we have a man, a man that God said, I will be with you. A man that God said, I'm going to bless you. And I'm sure that he was there that day thinking, God, what have you done? You've sent me, you told me to go, you even gave me some angels, and now I started going your way. I'm following, I'm doing what you told me to do, and now I get this? This is how you treat someone who you said you were going to be with? What's going on? Have you ever felt that way with God? Confused? Questioning? Wondering what are you doing? A family member this week of ours lives in another province. He found out after 30 years of being with a company, managers walked in this week and said, you're done. Thank you for your service. Don't you think he's a little confused? Questioning? He's a hard worker. He's a hard worker, gave himself for 30 years, given the boot. Or you get the phone call, there's been an accident, and your life is forever changed. Or the diagnosis comes from the doctor, and it's not good. Or no matter what you do, that relationship isn't getting any better. That person, in fact, is spiraling out of control and they're making your life more miserable. And, and, or a family member who wants to continue to keep ruining their life through bad choices and you're left there thinking, God, what are you doing? I'm wanting to try to live for you. I want to honor you. I serve you. And this is what happens? Have you ever been there? Been there many times. And so in verse 9, we read the prayer of a desperate man. And this is a powerful prayer that he prays. I would encourage you in your Bibles to underline this and, and to mark it as, as a very special prayer. And in fact, we're going to kind of break down this prayer here this morning and I'm going to read it and then we're going to walk through it. In, in verse 9, it says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kingdom, kindred that I may do good I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant for with only my staff I have crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps please deliver me from the hand of my brother from the hand of Esau for I fear him that he may come and attack me the mothers with the children but you said I will surely do good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for the multitude. So here we have a desperate prayer. Now let's take a look at it because this is a prayer that presses through. This is a prayer that ends up getting results. Don't you want to have prayers in your life when you're facing the stuff of life? To have a prayer life that is going to press through and a prayer that, that is going to see you through and to see God's side get the victory and to see peace and calm come back into your life? Do you want a prayer like that? Well, this is that kind of a prayer. And, and so we're going to walk through it. And first of all, press through prayer starts with God and his greatness. That's how it begins. Encourage you to write this down. Press through prayer starts with God and his greatness. O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac. He starts first of all in this prayer by acknowledging God. You know what? Today we really toss around the name of God really flippantly. 
One of the things that drives me crazy is when you see on television, whether it's a sitcom or a game show or any kind of thing, uh, oftentimes you end up hearing people, you know, when they're thankful or they're surprised and they go, oh my, you know, and, and they take God's name and, and it's just like, oh, it just drives me crazy how, how easily we can say his name. But even we as believers can just quickly toss out the name of God and not realize the power, the authority that his name has. And so here, Jacob says, oh God, but when he says, oh God, in this prayer, there was some oomph behind it. I mean, they were very careful how they said the name of God in these days. This was the personal name of God. He was saying, Yahweh, Elohim. This was... In saying this, there was a posture of bowing, if not his knees. It was bowing his heart towards God, invoking his name with reverence, with power. And he's saying, you are the God of my grandfather. You are the God of my father. And so he's recalling the goodness of God. And so breakthrough prayer starts with addressing God in his power, in his holiness, by his name. Thanking him for his greatness. And and that's how this prayer begins. Jacob starts this prayer with God. Starts it with God recalling his goodness and his greatness. Second of all, breakthrough prayer. Prayer that presses through is remembers, recalls the promises of God. In verse 9, last part of verse 9, it says, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives. And you promise me, I will treat you kindly. Here he does it. He does, he does it again in verse 12. He does it in verse 9. And in verse 12, he's holding up to God the promises of God. He's remembering what God had told him. You said I was supposed to go. You said you would be with me. You said I would be the father. I would... Be a part of a great nation. That's what your word says. And so press through prayer holds up the promises of God. Did you know that in the word of God, in this book, there are over 3,000 promises? There are some of these promises for a specific time and place. But there are many promises, hundreds upon hundreds of promises in God's word that are for you and for me as a child of God. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he said in 2 Corinthians 1.20, he says, all the promises of God are a yes in Jesus Christ. We can take the promises that we see in the word of God and apply them to our own lives. Every one of them is a yes in Christ, in a Christ-centered way. God's promises, he promises to never leave us or forsake us. Jacob was recalling that God says, I'm going to be with you. You know what? God, no matter what, will never leave us or forsake us. How about when we get concerned about loved ones, co-workers, neighbors who don't know Christ? We hold up the word of God. And we hold it up and, and we say from 2 Peter 3.9 that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. We repeat the promises of God. We remember those promises and know that those promises are for us. When a young church faces struggles and opposition, we go to Matthew 16, where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We at times can feel discouraged, we can feel overwhelmed, but we go to God's word and remember that those promises are for us, that never will he leave us or forsake us. You can find that in Deuteronomy 31, you can find it in Hebrews 13, that he will be with us no matter what. The Bible is not just something we read, but the Bible is something that we are to pray. Encourage you to be praying through God's word. In fact, that transforming prayer book that we make available we only have one copy left and we're going to be ordering more of those but um, it's available at, at the back table I mean it teaches you and it shows you the importance of praying the word of God we are to pray the promises of God and that's what Jacob is doing we're going to see how God responds to this prayer because he starts with God remembering his power his greatness but he he continues on as he remembers the promises of God's word he recalls these promises 
I think that word hid is actually supposed to be the on the screen there. Remembers the promises. I'm sure you have figured that out. Just a little typo there. And so thirdly, it moves on from there. Prayer that presses through has an attitude of humility and honesty. In verse 10, you see Jacob saying, I'm not worthy of all of the deeds of your steadfast love and all your faithfulness that you have shown your servant. For only did I cross the Jordan with my staff and now I have two camps. He's like, God, I'm not worthy. Breakthrough prayer, prayer that gets results, is filled with humility and honesty. This is such a huge statement for a guy like Jacob. Because up until this time, he was a self-made man. He was smart. He was crafty. He was conniving. And, And Jacob now recognizes how undeserving he is. He recognizes that it has been all along that God has prospered him. God has given to him. And he's saying, I don't deserve this God. And yet God blesses him. Do you approach God with an attitude of humility and honesty? Honesty? even gets more honest in verse 11 and he says, I'm afraid. He's afraid because he sees the 400 army soldiers that are coming his way. He sees his family on the other side and he thinks, I'm a dead man. How many of us today are afraid? I'm sure there are many fears in this room. Many of us All of us, probably in one area or another, we struggle with fear. And fear is a terrible thing. Fear is life-sucking. It is crippling. It is faith-destroying. It is joy-sucking. Here are some of the fears that are probably in the room today, and you might want to write these down because these are fears that probably you may even want to put a check mark beside some of the ones that maybe pertain to you, fear of man, fear of what others say, fear of, fear of you know what, uh, looking bad in someone's eyes, and so you work hard to try to impress people, so worried about what others might say or think, we live paranoid lives trying to please others, fear of man brings a snare, God's word says, how about fear of the future? We look around, you see what's going on economically, you see what's going on in our world, you look at children, you look at, at your grandchildren, you think, oh my, how, how are things ever going to be somewhat even normal for them? And, and, and fear of the future as you look around, fear of your own, just, you know, how am I going to survive the next five years, ten years, whatever it would be? We look ahead to, to tomorrow and, and we're full of, of fear. How about fear of failure? We don't want to fail, and, and so we're so, so scared, and, and it can be so paralyzing that, you know, I just don't want to fail. I don't want to, I mean, so much of that comes back to the fear of man. It comes back to pride that, you know, don't want to fail. Or how about the fear of being found? The fear of being found out, living in areas of hiddenness, hidden sin, areas of doing things secretly, doing things wrongly, doing things under the table, and, and, and you're thinking, oh no, I hope I don't get caught. And so there's a great fear that, that can be ours when a fear of being found out or fear of being alone. And so here, these are just some of the common fears and I encourage you to be thinking about which, which fear gets you. What fears? Maybe you say, all of them, Melden, they all pertain to me. Well, hold on. we got to see what Jacob does with with this fear. And, And Jacob was turning in desperation to the only one who could help him with his fear. And so he's turning it over to God, and he admits it. I'm afraid. It starts by admitting, I'm afraid, and I don't know what to do. A number of years ago, quite a few years ago, this was before we had kids, I was in a trap of fear that was just slowly eating away at me. It was destroying my life. It was just awful. And, and finally, I mean, I confessed it before God, but I also confessed it before others, not in, please forgive me, to my wife or to my parents or to people in my church, dear friends, I didn't ask them for my forgiveness, but I confessed it. I'm struggling. This is hard. I don't know what to do. I need you to pray for me. I went to God for forgiveness of the sin of fear, but I went to others to come alongside and to help and encourage me and to gather brothers and sisters around me to to walk with me in that. 
And we need to confess those areas of in honesty that I'm a fearful person. I'm afraid. That's the first step towards getting help. Getting help from God. Having others come alongside of you. That's not a sign of weakness. That's strength. You have the guts. You have the courage to admit it. Yeah, I'm struggling. Life is hard. Can you pray for me? Can you pray with me? Can you hold me accountable? Can you check in on me? That's what the Christian life is about. Press through prayer calls for God next to step in. It calls for God to step into the situation. In verse 11, quick prayer. He says, God, deliver me from the hand of my brother. From the hand of Esau. He's basically saying, help me. Help me now. I'm desperate. I don't know what to do. He's calling out to God. Intervene. Show up. So here, pretty quick. Four steps. Because the results end up to be pretty good for him. So this prayer must have worked. Must have taken. Starts with addressing God and his greatness. Remembers the promises of God. It's filled with humility and honesty. And then he calls for God to show up. Is that the end? Here, here I'm actually going to give you some, some five prayer essentials. It's kind of taking this and, and maybe even some ways that you could take and, and apply this prayer even today. We'll just go to the next slide. First of all, encourage you this, to be part of your prayer life. To get alone with your Bible. Have your Bible when you go to prayer. Because remember, this isn't a book that is just to be read. It is to be a book that is prayed. And so take your Bible. And, and as you go through the passages of Scripture, as Pastor Robbie reminded us last week, have a plan when it comes to reading your Bible. And pray through what you are reading. Pray for God to speak to you. Pray what is going on in those passages to become real and to experience God's power in life in and through your own life. So get alone with your Bible. I encourage you to kneel down. Get low before God. And maybe it's not even on your knees. Maybe it's getting on your face before God. When was the last time you got on your face before God in prayer? When was the last time you kneeled? Say, I can't kneel. Can't do it. Well, physically that might be, might be an issue for some. But you can still bend your heart. You can kneel within your heart. Just come before God in an attitude of humility. And, and kneeling is a posture that just puts us in a greater way in a, a humble mindset, a humble attitude. Pray out loud. You ever start praying and, and then you kind of have, you're, you're praying in your head, but you're thinking a lot of other things going on, and soon you realize no longer praying. I'm kind of thinking about this situation and, and that, and, and there's something about saying something verbally and praying verbally with the authority and praying scripture out loud that is powerful and transforming. Now, if Kids are sleeping, family's sleeping. If it's early morning or late at night and you're praying, you might have to mumble your prayers a little bit because you don't want to keep others up with, with, their, with your prayers. But pray out loud. Pray with a list. In your Bible, keep a list of things that you're praying for and, and, and see how God is at work. And, and lastly, pray fervently. Pray and don't give up. You keep on praying with passion and with with fervency. So we could end the message here, but there's more to this story and there's more to press through prayer. Prayer that gets results. Because for many of us, if you go back to that last screen, guys, where we have the, 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 the four things there, I mean, this is a model way to pray. This is a good way to pray. And yet, so oftentimes our prayers... It doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. And so here's Jacob. He's prayed this prayer. He sent his family one on to, to one side, sent the other onto the other side, separated them on the other side of the river, and here he is alone. He sent his servants ahead with all kinds of animals. You'll read the list of animals that he sent on, and he sent the farm. I'm telling you, he sent stuff. And, uh, and gave specific instructions to his, his servants. 
But here's the fifth thing we see about press through prayer, is that it ends in surrender. It ends in surrender. Point five. And Jacob was left alone. Guys, if you could put that up. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. This man wrestled with Jacob all night long. He finds out somewhere in the night that it turns out to be God that he's wrestling with. The pre-incarnate Jesus. This wasn't some angel. This wasn't some warrior. You know what? Some kind of Jack Bauer kind of guy that maybe his brother Esau sent over to kind of take care of the situation before the army even gets there. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus. This is Jesus showing up before Bethlehem, before the cross, before the empty tomb. This is the same Jesus that showed up to Abraham when Abraham was standing there on Mount Sinai ready to, to kill his son. And he spoke to him. He spoke through a voice and said, what are you doing, Abraham? This was the Jesus that, that showed up um, and, and stood in the way of Balaam when he was riding um, into some trouble. It was the same Jesus that showed up to Joshua on the road. It was the same Jesus that appears to Gideon in, in Judges chapter 6, the commander of the Lord's army. He showed up to Abraham, to Joshua. We see it to, to Gideon. This is the Jesus that showed up, the mighty warrior showed up in Jacob's life. But Jacob didn't welcome him as Jesus. He wrestled with him. He probably didn't know who he was. And, um, and it says that he fought all night long. How many of you have ever wrestled before? Done some wrestling just for fun. I mean, most of us have probably done that. And it doesn't take very long that you get wrestling and you get pretty worn out. I couldn't imagine how sweaty, how dirty, how ripped up his clothes would have been if he's wrestling all night with this person, with this um, with this, yeah, assailant that's coming his way. I remember um, in high school going out for the school wrestling team. Uh, we took wrestling in, in gym, and my gym teacher said, oh, Melden, you should, you should maybe consider joining the wrestling team. And, and we did a little bit in class, and it wasn't really my thing, but I went out for one of the practices and got soundly thumped um, just in one of the practices. Plus, it was also really quite disgusting because um, back then in grade 9 and 10, guys all, oftentimes didn't really care about themselves very much, and so there was not a lot of deodorant use, and it was dirty gym clothes. And so being in some guy's armpit and being held there for a little while, a sweaty, smelly armpit just wasn't quite my thing. And so, yeah, I, I didn't really continue on with wrestling because it was just kind of yuck, you know. And, 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 and wrestling gets, gets you sweating, it gets you worn out, gets you pretty tired out. And, and, and Jacob is wrestling all night long. And the hours go by and it's a battle for control. And in verse 25, we read this. So look at, at, at verse 25. It says, when the man, being God saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Years ago in college, um, I was doing some late-night wrestling with some buddies in Vernon, Manitoba. Don't know why we ended up there. We went to go see this guy's grandmother, have a weekend away, and we were wrestling in the living room late at night. His grandmother, thankfully, was very hard of hearing, so she didn't hear the noise that was going on. And there was three or four of us, and we were wrestling and, and carrying on. And, and, and uh, so it was my turn to, to get involved in the little wrestling match. And somehow, I was kicking. Um, I don't know, maybe that's a, um, a new form of wrestling. I'm not sure. But I kicked my foot in such a way that I banged my foot really good and I ended up dislocating my baby toe. So if this was my, my foot, my baby toe was like sticking over like this and, and, and the pain was excruciating. I mean it was awful and, and I looked at it like oh no that's not good and I thought it was broken. Like it was like oh, like it was so painful and it was so painful and it was so kind of ugly that one of my friends was, was then laid out on the couch because he was starting to faint and, and feel faint because just the sight of what he saw just caused him to be very queasy and, and so he ended up you know just laying out there and I'm saying we got to go to the doctor and so here we're loading up getting in my, my friend's car Verdon Manitoba going to the doctor and the doctor takes a look at it and he's like 
That thing's dislocated. I thought for sure it was broken. I mean, the paid was just, I mean, he touched it. You know, it was just awful. And he just took and, and snapped it in place. I was like, oh, oh, that's good. That's really, oh, it's fine. Huh. And the next day I thought, hmm, if he was able to snap it in like that, I wonder. So I went, and I was able to, to pop it out. And, and so I could do that. And, and I did that for the next number of months. Like, hey, want to see something cool? And I, you know, I mean, just not a, no wonder I was single at the time, you know, and, you know, just chicks just did not dig that, I guess. But, but I would sit in the library with the same friend that got a little queasy. And, and as we were studying, you know what, to become pastors, I, I would take my shoe and sock off under the table and, and I would dislocate my toe and, and then I'd put it up on the table and, and I was hoping he'd pass out, you know, right there in like, oh, Lutzer, quit it, you know. Anyways, the fun things you do. And, and after a little while, I forgot about my superhuman cool trick. And, and I tried to do it a few months later, and it hurt too much. I couldn't do it. It, it healed up. That was just a baby toe that hurt like crazy. For, for Jacob, here he's wrestling, and this wrestling match is going on, and, and it doesn't seem like he's winning. It doesn't seem like he's totally losing. I mean, he's still in the battle, and all of a sudden, this person that he's wrestling with touches his hip, and ah! His hip gets dislocated, gets popped right out. I mean, the hip is one of the biggest bone areas and sockets in, in the body. I mean, you just don't go and, and, and somehow dislocate your hip yourself. You dislocate your hip through a major fall, through a car accident, sometimes like a, a football injury or something like that happens and you get your hip dislocated. Here, Jacob, a single touch, and perhaps that was the moment that he realized I'm not fighting with a mere man here. This guy's powerful. The only way that this happens could be a supernatural touch. And you see, Jacob, he was stubborn. I mean, here he was. He was fighting it on. And, and uh, he had this iron will. He wasn't going to surrender. He was, he was pressing on. He's trying to defeat him. And, and God finally says, enough of this. Daybreak is coming. I've got a world to run. And uh, he didn't say that part. Um, but... He says, daybreak is coming, and he touches his hip. And it's somewhere there in that night that he realizes, and it perhaps was right there with that touch, that this was God. Jacob was fighting, resisting against God for hours. In reality, he had been fighting against God for decades, most of his life. And see, here you see a shift, people, and encourage you, don't miss it. Pay attention. Don't miss this. Here he was fighting against God and all of a sudden his hip gets put out of joint. He's in excruciating pain but now he doesn't let go. He's still holding on but no longer is he fighting against God. He's now holding on to God. That's a big difference. Are you fighting God or are you holding on to him? So oftentimes we fight against God and his word. We fight being obedient. We, we, we fight what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do. And then all of a sudden, the floor drops. The hip gets touched. Pain comes into our life. And all of a sudden we realize, oh my. God, I've been fighting you. I need to hold on to you. Verse 26, it says, Then he, being God, said, Let me go, for the day has broken. And Jacob said, I will not let go until you bless me. I won't let go of you. As Jacob realizes who he's battling, even with that hip out of joint, Jacob won't let go until God blesses him. And in this moment, he is crying. He says, God, I need you. I need you. I need you. And I'm, please don't go. And he's holding on to him still. You need to bless me. You need to help me. I, you need to be here for me. There's no other way that he could get through to Jacob than by touching him with pain. It's C.S. Lewis who, who coined the phrase. He says, pain is God's megaphone to wake us up, to get our attention. And at times I wonder, how bad does life have to get? How desperate do we have to become before we wake up 
and surrender. Now this is really interesting. Look at verse 27. This is, can't miss this part here. Verse 27, and it says, And he said to him, What is your name? This is God saying this to Jacob. And, and he said, Name's Jacob. And then he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but instead Israel. For you have striven with God and have prevailed. Did God not know Jacob's name? You know, why would God, I mean, he's fighting with this guy all night, and, and then, you know, say, oh, by the way, what's your name again? No, God knew his name. He remembered it, but what he wanted him to do was to admit who he was. I'm Jacob. I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. I'm a grasper. I'm a cheater. That's who I am. And as he admitted in surrender, this is who I am, God says, I'm changing your name to one who strives with God and prevails. His name is changed to Israel. Powerful there. You see, through this, ending with this prayer that is ending with surrender, God not just only changes his situation, he changes his identity. My name was Jacob, cheater, deceiver, fraud, artist. And God says your name will be prevailer. That God fights, God prevails. This day changed his name and his identity. And for the rest of his life, he would walk with a limp. It was a reminder to him that God touched his life even with this pain. It would have been painful for him to walk day in and day out. And as the people would see him limp and they would say, you know how that happened. God did that. For the rest of his life, he would lead the people of Israel, his family with a limp. But it was all worth it because he had that life-changing encounter with God. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 had a limp. He had a thorn. And he asked for it to be removed. He asked God to take it away from him. He asked three times and God said, no, but my grace will be sufficient for you. And for Jacob, knowing that he experienced God's blessing, he could handle and deal with the pain of a hip that was out of socket, that was out of joint for the rest of his life. His family, the nation that would be formed through his offspring, would learn that winning the blessing of God, getting answers from God, comes from losing with God. Does that make sense? That winning the blessing, getting the answer from God, getting him to answer our prayers comes from losing personally in surrender. You are God and I surrender to you. In prayer, God at times, he changes the situations and God answered his prayer. But the most important thing that happens when we pray, when we pray through, press through prayer and it ends with surrender is that he changes us. He changes us and, and we come to accept his grace is sufficient. His power is made great in my weakness. And Jacob experienced that peace of God in the presence of God. You see, in life it doesn't mean we're going to live pain-free. It doesn't mean we're not going to live without issues, whether it be physical or financial or relational. We all limp. Every one of us can walk out of here with certain limps because of what have hap what's happened to us in life or what we're currently experiencing. And yet, Christ is enough. And then you look, I encourage you to read chapter 33. We see the reunion of the two brothers. There's humility, there's brokenness. And what happens? Esau, who was coming out with the 400 soldiers to declare war, finally get revenge. And he sees, and, and Jacob then sends, and read the list in chapter 30 of all the animals he's sending. And it's kind of this show off of, look at all these gifts I'm giving to you. But somewhere in that night, the heart of Esau was changed. And the soldiers meant nothing. And Esau comes up to his brother and they hug and Esau, the one who had been cheated, the one who had been treated poorly, the one who was now second fiddle, the one who wouldn't carry on the great promises of God, 
takes and he hugs his brother. He kisses his brother. That's the work of God, the supernatural work of God. You see, surrender opens the door to faith and to blessing. We can pray bold prayers. I mean, you can take the first four points here that we talked about and you can be someone who prays with great eloquence you can pray regularly you can pray for hours you can do all of this but if your heart isn't surrendered it means nothing it's just mere words but when our hearts are surrendered as we see that surrendered no longer fighting no longer fighting Jacob was no longer fighting now he's holding he's holding on to God When that switch happens, that's when press through prayer gets results. That's when supernatural things happen in our lives. A dear friend of ours a number of years ago wrote a song, and and the words to that song goes, it says, In surrender I have found the greatest love I've ever known. You find Jesus when you surrender. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and The first and most important thing we surrender to God is his children who are limping along in life. We surrender our hearts to him in salvation. If you've never given your heart to Christ in salvation, never had that experience of inviting Christ to come into your life, you can do that today. Would love to talk to you after the service about doing that. About just simply praying and opening up your heart to Jesus. But perhaps, and it's not perhaps on a daily basis, we are called to surrender the situations we're facing, the fears that we're going through. That person who just seems so hard in life and we just can't get along with or that relationship that's crumbling, we surrender that to God and quit trying to control things and instead let God control them. An old song we used to sing, let God have his way, he knows what is best. Let God have his way, he'll give you sweet rest. You surrender that fear. And like Jacob, you say, my name is Meldon, but my name is also fear. My name is whatever your name is, and you list those areas that are controlling your life, and you Admit that in repentance and humility before God and then you ask him to deliver you in surrender. Surrender unlocks faith and it unlocks God's blessing. Jesus, I pray for my dear friends here today. Prayer isn't just some ritual we go through. Prayer is giving our hearts to you. And yes, it's so important to come before you, God, in all of your power and your greatness and acknowledging that. It's so important that we come to you remembering the promises and holding up your word, reminding you of these truths and claiming them in our lives. And it's so important we come in humility and honesty. And and it's so important we pray and we don't give up. But Father, we need to surrender our hearts to you can do the others but if we don't surrender it's it's still our agenda it's still our way lord i pray for each one of us in life as we walk with limps from the past there's some here that are jealous of other people in this world or in their family or your neighbors whatever it would be and say i just want a normal life like theirs Lord Jesus, I pray we would surrender what is not normal in our life. Surrender what we're struggling with and give it to you. And even in this song, maybe a song of declaration of how we need you, but it's coming with surrendered hearts. And as we surrender, grow the faith in us, build that faith, and it will also accompany with your blessing. Bless these people the fruit of surrender.